Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Euro 2020 coverage, day eight today. The hype train pulled into Wembley Park Underground Station at full speed and flopped out an England team who couldn't even beat Scotland. Scotland! Where they eat fried Snickers bars, they don't wear proper trousers and their contribution to music is the bagpipe, the indignity of it all. This Brexit and Piers Morgan's existence are surely the biggest embarrassments for a once proud nation. I am Ryan Bailey. I'd like to apologise at the top for to, to all Total Soccer Show listeners and to the United States for suggesting this would be a good game. Also in this abomination of a day, Sweden and Slovakia made Joe Lowry get up at 6am without good cause and so did Croatia and the Czech Republic for the first half at least. Are we having fun yet, guys? Joining me today is a man who's got something in common with Marcus Rashford because he didn't touch the ball at Wembley today. It's Taylor Rockwell. No, I did not. Uh, I've kind of forgot he even came onto the field, to be honest. Uh, Ryan, I'm a little concerned. Have you retreated to a bunker? Is that what's going on? Or have you, have you institutionalized yourself after that result? I'm in my angry place. It's very echoey, and there's a loud air conditioner in my angry place. <laughs> He's in his bad place where he goes to break bottles like Charlie <laughs> Kelly? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Exactly. Oh, dear. <laughs> Joining us also from my angry place, we have a man who used to sit down and tell me where football is going because it's not going home. Joe Lowry. Ryan, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say. I'm just sorry. <laughs> And last but of course not least, we have a man who'll never hear the brilliant intro I wrote in preparation for a massive England win. It's Graham Rutherford. Hi, Ryan. How are you? <laughs> are you well? Are you doing good? I am doing great. So, shall we move on? What game do you want to do first? How about Sweden? Anybody? Oh. <laughs> I love, I really do love that we always go chronological. And it was yesterday that Ryan Bailey messaged the group to say, hey, should we change it up and maybe like put one of the bigger games first? And here we are, Ryan. Take it away. All right. So, I, I, I um, generally at this tournament, I've been impressed. I think we've had lots of exciting games. I think, you know, there's been, we've been watching three games a day. It's, it's been grueling if you can call it that, to have the privilege to watch soccer all day. For some of us, you know, watching games all day. But they've generally been very entertaining. Today was not an entertaining day, and I've been looking forward to England-Scotland for months and months and months. And we got at Wembley a nil-nil in which England basically declared that if they go to the knockout stages, and they probably will at this point, then they're not going to go much further than that. And I found that very, very depressing. Taylor, can you hug me, please? I know you're not in my angry place, but I need a hug of some sort. I mean, I, I, I would happily hug you. I was trying to hug you both uh, as this game was happening because I was a little bit concerned about how it was going to go, especially right now as we're recording. And I didn't <laughs> think the first half was nearly as bad as people made it out to be. I thought England were doing some things really well. And, and Joe and I texted a little bit about this. I thought there were opportunities there uh, that Scotland were presenting for England if England could take them. I think in the second half, Scotland tightened up quite a bit. And I think England sort of did as well, <laughs> but just in the wrong way. And so I didn't think it was going to be quite as bad of a result. I still don't. I don't think it necessitated booing, but I'm also not English. So I, I don't know if that qualifies as a hug, Ryan, but I, I will happily hug you next we are in person. Um, let's, not, let's not speculate, Taylor. They may have been saying boo in the Wembley that could Stadium. Be. There, that so could be. That's perfectly possible. But <laughs> I was I, saying I boo Ryan. I was they, saying boo I, I was saying boo but I, I think you, could, you, you, <laughs> you would have been right to boo because... England were rather disappointing in this game. And as I say, it's a, it's a harbinger for not so great things ahead. The thing that caught me, Joe, was how slow England were in the build-up. How, you know, it, it just seemed like the transition wasn't there at all. It seems like there was no urgency 
to win this game. And when you look at the, the way this tournament's laid out, England have got four points now. They're in a pretty good position to go, go ahead. Part of me thinks, yes, they, they haven't needed to win this game, so that's why they've set up with this. That's why they've been quite slow. That's why they haven't brought the game to the Scots as much as they could have done. But that also doesn't excuse a lot of the poor performances. Harry Kane barely broke out of a jog for the whole game. Phil Foden was pretty disappointing. He got pulled off, and Raheem Sterling was pretty poor up top as well. Joe, I'm just ranting at this point. If you want to interject and tell me that everything's <laughs> going to be okay, but or, <laughs> you can do so. But I'm, I'm, I, I just felt that England were very disappointing, particularly... In transition and in the build-up, it just felt like there was no urgency at all. I'm not sure everything's going to be okay, Ryan. And I'd love to tell you that that everything will be fine. But, I mean, this game continued a pattern that we first saw in the Croatia game, in the first game of this tournament for England, with this slow, ponderous possession. And in this game against Scotland, because of how Scotland defended in that 5-2-1-2, I mean, it was kind of a 5-3-3, but it was very narrow and tight with that front five all all very pinched in. And so England had a lot of space out wide, and they were able to progress the ball into the into the attacking half and into the final third fairly easily, but they never had to break out of out of first gear. They just moved forward very ponderously, and they made that, that advancement very simple. But then when they got in the final third, especially in the second half, that's when things really slowed down to almost a halt. It was far... Far too much reliance on individual moments, individual players, right? Uh, Raheem Sterling taking on one or two Scottish defenders, Phil Foden, and then later Jack Grealish trying to do that same thing. Not nearly enough off-ball movement, not nearly enough ball movement, and then just not enough urgency to actually take advantage of the gaps that were there in Scotland's defensive shape. Man, it, it's a it's a worrying trend from England because, like I said, this is not just a this-game thing. This is a this-tournament thing for England. Taylor, um, we were talking off air about the decisions that um, Gareth Southgate made as well. It was Phil Foden was taken off for for Jack Grealish. Some may have expected maybe Raheem Sterling would come off at that point. Um, Harry Kane was replaced by Marcus Rashford. Uh, Maybe I don't know if that was the right move either. It seemed like uh, there wasn't too many changes to this England team. It was uh, two different fullbacks from the previous team. But what did you make of the way this was set up, Taylor? Well, first, I can't tell if you're just throwing to me and Joe so you don't have to throw to Graham. That's what I'm tempted. As far as I'm aware, you're the only two with me. (laughs) (laughs) I I will just say I'm tempted to yield my time. I will answer briefly so we can get more from Graham. Uh, I will say that I I think what what in my mind happened is that England came out in that second half expecting Scotland to be a bit more spread out than they were. I think especially as the game went on in the final 30 minutes or so, it was a very clear 5-3-2 and a very tight three in the middle. And I think I think England, it took them longer than maybe it should have to recognize that that wasn't as much of an option anymore. And so then, as Joe said, they did start to spread it wide. But then from there, it was intermittently combination play. It was intermittently 1v1 take-ons. And it didn't seem like there was a cohesive attacking plan for the second half especially. And so that I put at Gary Southgate. I think the media are going to blame certain players. I think that some of that is somewhat fair because I don't think anybody had a particularly excellent game for England. Um, but I think what it spoke to for me was just a lack of second ideas, which is weird because that's sort of been the knock on England for a very long time less so in 2018, but certainly in 2016. It's how do you deal against a bunkered team like Iceland in 2016? They didn't. And here against Scotland, they kind of did in the sense that at least they didn't concede any, but they could have. And it was a more open game than I was expecting it to be. Graham Rutherford, you are quite right to be um, 
more delighted in this than the opening Scotland performance. Uh, you know, this was a team that was set up to go for it. We had Billy Gilmore coming in, Kieran Tierney, as you were rightly excited to be about. Uh, che Adams was in here, Callum McGregor coming in too. It, Scotland, to me, Graham, looked very impressive, particularly in the first half when they were going forward in numbers. Uh, there were times when I thought they weren't finding the man on the overlap when it could have been a lot more dangerous for England in those circumstances. But overall, you've got to be pretty happy with the way the Scots came out here. This was so much better than the Czech Republic game. <laughs> uh, I cannot stress. I, I understand why you guys might have seen this as a, as a defensive um, performance by Scotland. And obviously, in a, in a lot of aspects, it was, and particularly in that second half. And if you were to plot the players' positions on the pitch, then yeah, you'd probably say it was quite defensive. But the thing that was so much better than against Czech Republic was just the way that, that we were getting out. Not just the, that we were getting out, but there was there were good periods of the match where Scotland were holding on to the ball in the centre of the pitch, and not just in kind of deep positions, but in the England half as well. And it, it, I think that was just a a knock-on effect of getting players who can actually control a pass and uh, control a pass and move the ball forward. So as you, as you mentioned there, Billy Gilmore comes in for his first ever Scotland start. He should have started against Czech Republic. I can't believe that he didn't. What what a talent he is. He I know we talk about this Scotland team with a lot of um, talents and, and uh, this crop is the best we've had in a long time. I think Gilmore is probably going to be the best of the lot. I, th- I think he could genuinely be a world-class player. I thought he was brilliant. Callum McGregor coming in was really good. Another player who can hold on to the ball. And even things like Scott McTominay playing on the right side of the, the centre-backs. I know that's a little bit unusual. I, I, and if you don't watch Scotland, you would think maybe Clark had lost his mind a little bit. But he, that has worked a, a number of times for Scotland, with Tierney as well on the left side. So we're in a pack three, we're only playing one you know central defender. But for some reason, it seems to work with the balance. And I, I was just... I was elated when the team news came through because of Adams, because Dykes... The temptation for Scotland is to play the ball too long, uh, uh, long too quickly to Lyndon Dykes. And we did that at times in this game. In the first half, I thought we were still putting it forward to him a little bit too quickly. But the difference is he has Adams to, to, to partner with. And Che Adams is actually a much better hold, hold up man than I realized before tonight. He was doing a lot of good hold up play. So that was a different, a, a different aspect, aspect of our performance as well. So I personally saw, a smart, intelligence, intelligent performance from Scotland, which is the complete opposite of what it was, excuse me, against uh, Czech Republic when it was a little bit harem scarum and a little bit all over the place. This, this was a, a controlled performance from, from uh, Steve Clark's team, who, who has, who has made amends. The, 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 the mistakes he made against Czech Republic. And if Stephen O'Donnell had scored that volley, oh, oh. he is, he's the weak link in the Scotland team. And I still think I would have preferred someone else over him. But if he had scored that, all would have been forgiven. I would, I would have had painted the front of my house with his face. Not with his face, but his face on the front of my house. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could go the uh, like the smiley face right, one, route one and just put a bunch of paint on his face other. and see what happens. You never know. Yeah, uh, Graham, Graham, if you don't mind, I was going to ask you if Steve Clark has redeemed himself. You've sort of answered that. So I wanted to instead focus on a word you used there, which was smart from Scotland. And I think that was another thing that really stood out to me was that they were individual levels of intelligence that, not to say were unexpected, but I, I was really like... I don't even know what the word, like, I guess amazed by, impressed by that, like, uh, in the opening moments in the first 15 minutes or so, 
Billy Gilmore sees Luke Shaw making one of those interior sort of wall pass runs and tries to track him, but is essentially just not quick enough, not alert to it. Even though he's paying attention to it the whole time, he can't really make anything happen. I think England get a corner out of it. And from that moment on, he tracks Luke Shaw tighter. He makes sure he's always goal side. And there's very few of those opportunities from that point with Billy Gilmore tracking. Scott McTominay gets caught in possession and it leads to an early chance for England. I don't remember him getting caught after that. And he was on the ball. He's still was confident with it. He just made smarter choices. And I think against Croatia, or excuse me, the Czech Republic, we saw uh, Scotland sort of make consistent mistakes that and not learn from them. And in this performance, I felt like we saw more of that. Like, I don't even know if there's a question here aside from, am I, am I off base with these sort of like adaptations we saw from Scotland tonight? And, uh, and if I'm not, just how exciting was that for you having not seen them in a major tournament for so long? It was it was hugely exciting to see to see um, Gilmore and McGregor and McTominay and with Tierney bringing the ball out from the back, which I don't want to go on and on about it, but it, it's more than just Kieran Tierney's a good player. He's clearly a good player, but it, things just kind of click with him in the team. That there's less pressure on 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 the centre backs to to bring the ball out. He does it himself, and that partnership with Robertson is kind of how we get up the up the pitch. But it was it was incredible. There were there were points in in that match where we're spraying passes around the center of the pitch and are looking uh, to find a way through England. Where I almost had to kind of pinch myself a little bit and think, I'm watching Scotland at Wembley against England at a major tournament, and I don't feel like we're out of our depth. I don't I don't feel like England are. I mean, I did fear Jack Grealish come on because of, uh, coming on because I felt that for England this was set up to be a bit of a ball carriers game. And so I feel I feared having two ball carriers in Grealish and Foden working together. But then Southgate took off Foden as well, which was <laughs> absolutely glorious. You completely lose the tactical benefit of having Grealish on the pitch. But um, yeah, I didn't feel like we were out for depth, and and I think it's so encouraging for Scottish football. We've made real changes at grassroots level over the last ten ten years. We used to be a country that prioritised physical players who, who can run fast and can win a header in the air. And that wasn't doing anything for us, clearly. And so I think this is the, these are the first signs with players like Gilmore. And I know McTominay's a big physical player, but he's good in the ball as well. And Tierney and uh, even someone like Callum McGregor. The, these, these are different sort of Scotland players, and it's hugely exciting. I think I said this in our preview. This, this group of players, we, we need to make multiple tournaments now. They, they are talented enough to make multiple t- tournaments. And that's why, with the Czech Republic result, that was... That was so frustrating to me because we, we're, we're so much better than we showed in that game. And I'm just really pleased, even though we still haven't scored a goal at this tournament, I would quite like to do that at some point. Um, but I, I'm just really pleased that this performance demonstrated what we have a little bit better. Listen to this guy. He gets one goalless draw against England in a tournament where they haven't scored a goal, and suddenly it's we need to make multiple tournaments. Steady on, Graham. Steady on. Uh, but I, I'm just, I'm talking in jest there, Graham. You've spoken there. So, to the, to the importance of this game to the Scottish people. There were 25,000, around 25,000 Scottish people came down to London for this. Many of them, most of them without tickets, uh, brought the rain down with them too, it seemed as well. So can you, you've spoken there a little bit to, to the importance of this game to, to, to Scottish football, but how, does, how do you think it changes your perspective of this tournament as well? You've got that last game coming up against Croatia. Does it... Because when we were coming out of the first game, you were very, well, we're just in it for, you know, these are free hits now. We're in it for fun. Yeah, are you feeling different now? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think I qualified that after the Czech Republic match, where I said if we if we somehow get a, a, something out of the England game, it does change the tournament for us because I've always thought four points was the was was the 
was the target for this group and I always felt like it was going to be the Czech Republic that was go- that was going to be the the three points and then you take a point from Croatia or, or England we've got the point from Croatia or, or uh, from the Croatia or England games we just now need to flip it and actually from what we've seen from Croatia they may well be the weakest team in this group you know Czech Republic are sitting on four points we're we're winning for a lot of their game today and we've got them at home in our final in our final game so yeah, absolutely. It, it has changed the complexion of the tournament for us. We That game against Croatia is now going to be huge. And I think there will be a belief, particularly um, after such a... Look, I know this I know this wasn't, you know, a Brazilian performance from Scotland. I'm not getting too carried away, but just just the the fact that we did play some more football, that there was more tactical structure, that there was more vision from Clark. I think that that is so encouraging to take into that Croatia game. Joe, um, a little bit more about England. What do you think that England maybe could have done differently this game? For example, maybe taking corners that clear the first man and you don't try and put them at Phil Foden, one of the shortest people on the pitch. What do you think? Yeah, England continuing to improve their set-piece play would certainly help. We saw a really great chance from John Stones in the 11th minute off of a corner kick, but not not enough consistent chances from England on set-pieces. But really, if I'm going to talk about things that England need to do better, it, it all comes back to their work with the ball. You know, I, I went through after this game and just looked at the starting 11, looked at the bench for England. They have all these incredibly talented attacking players. Phil Foden, Raheem Sterling, those two guys both start. Mason Mounts, quality on the ball, quality on the dribble. They have Jaden Sancho, who didn't feature. Jack Grealish. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and on of talented attacking players that they have. But for me, it doesn't make one lick of difference how how good the players are in most situations if your final third patterns are are so poor and you're running those really good players against two opposing defenders, right? You can have the best players in the world, but if you're not putting them in positions to succeed and thrive, that's a problem. And I think Gareth Southgate needs to look at this group and say, man, we're not always going to be able to rely on set pieces. We're not always going to be able to rely on opposing teams not always threatening us with the ball. We need to do something with the ball against teams where we're going to control possession. And England was always going to control possession, and and they didn't execute what they needed to do in the final third to be able to create the consistent chances to win a game like this. That needs to change. They need more patterns off the ball other than the same Calvin Phillips breaking in behind the back line pattern that they've run over and over again. They need more variety in how they attack, and and right now that's just not there. Taylor, any thoughts on that? I'm just feeling so depressed. I can't even think of anything more to say about this England team, frankly. Well, we talked about it a little bit, I think, before recording. I was very confused why they stuck with the double pivot the whole time. Joe, did you have a theory on that, or Ryan, did you? Because it feels like they could have easily changed things up, gotten more attacking players on, and really sort of gone for it near the end. My my theory is just that they didn't necessarily need this win in the tournament context. Yes, there's a rivalry, and you always want to beat Scotland, but... Four points after two games in this group sets you up quite well and could even set you up better for not having won this game based on future knockout round games. Now, I'm not saying that's what Gareth Southgate was thinking necessarily, but I, that is a possible explanation. Yeah. All right. I'll take that. I, I, I will also take this draw as a whole because on a day when the games were not that exciting, I think we talked about this a little bit at the end of yesterday's show about like how much our audience is going to care about this one over here, where there isn't as much of a vested interest in either team. And, and I think for me, the answer ended up being a lot more than I expected. And it made me really excited for the knockout round, because this was a good reminder of what it feels like when two teams are up for it and understand the significance of the moment. And that's what basically every knockout round game is. 
you do have that sense of drama. It doesn't hurt to have the fans in the stands, and it doesn't hurt for those fans to be particularly Scottish, because I think the Scottish fans at the end, singing, singing the anthem and cheering their team on, it was a stark contrast to the booing from the home fans that I think probably <laughs> did not send a particularly helpful message. Graham, for you, like on a personal level, like, what were the final moments of that like? What were you doing? Were you pacing? Were you sweating? Were you screaming? Yeah. Were you, like, covering your eyes? So I, I pretty much paced the whole match. I actually paced when the teams were... Re- <laughs> from the, when the teams were announced, that's when I really started pacing. Then I realized I had to write uh, 750 words on the game <laughs> at about the 60-minute <laughs> mark, and then had to to write my, uh, my lead on, you know, a disappointing England performance and an excellent, you know, sort of Scotland performance and then dreaded having to do the rewrite towards the end if something happened, if England scored a scored a winner. But um, yeah, yeah I really I, felt I, like that might be the case. I didn't think England were actually going to find a way through, but it was just Graham, Graham had predicted yesterday, or I think when we were trying to plan out our recording times, Graham had said like, well, it depends if there's a late winner. If something dramatic happens, it pushes me back. I've got to write like a different sort of article. And I was... Afraid not for the like timing of recording, but mostly because I was worried that 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 would happen, and then Graham's like prediction would have come true, and Graham would have been (laughs) sad. And instead, we have sad Ryan, but not as sad as I think Graham would have been if they'd lost in the ninety second minute or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I've I've sweated half my body weight watching that game, (laughs) and I'm not even kidding. I'm I'm so um, I feel a little bit drained, and I I feel like my thoughts in this podcast are going to be a little bit all over the place. Uh, I'm not sure what my tactical analysis of of the other two games is going to be like. But yeah, it, it's it's been worth it in the end, even though for the neutral, maybe it wasn't the most. The funny thing is, I don't know if you've ever had this, if, you, if you're a fan of a, of a team watching a big game, but I, I felt like that was the most gripping, compelling match I've ever watched in my life. But I can, I can, I, I understand if you guys maybe didn't share that, uh, that sentiment and maybe it was no. a little bit dull if you didn't have that, that sort of interest. I didn't find it dull at all, to be honest. I mean, I was definitely like, tired just because we're not sleeping very much and there's lots of games to to cover and pay attention to in detail but no I thought it, I, I did think Scotland played really well and I thought I, like I said before I didn't think England were that poor until the second half where I felt like they they weren't just like doing as much creating as much and even when Grealish comes on you see him I forget if it was in like the 90th minute I think it was in my notes that like he was standing there with his hands up in the air I think Luke Shaw was as well like waving for the ball on the opposite touchline and instead England just kept moving the ball slowly and I thought it it just became a really strange game at the end and while I was worried that you were going to end up not getting your draw Graham it also really didn't feel like England were going to create anything short of some sort of moment of individual brilliance or an absolute howler from Scotland and Ryan I'm sad to say that I I don't know if it gets better immediately because you're going against the the Czech Republic on the final day a team that would also have four points I think are top of the group right now so it seems like neither one of you really need the win and I can see them sitting in defending and basically making England change up their style of play play faster but for England, who also are okay with the draw in that moment, I, I don't know if that will be a thing that they want to do. And even if the team is sort of goes into that with, eh, a draw is fine, I don't think after this performance and the somewhat unimpressive performance against Croatia that becomes more unimpressive with this result, I don't know if the media and the fans are going to be placated by a, like, look, we didn't need a win, we were okay with a draw. Like, I don't think that's going to go over so well. So I think there's an unnecessary amount of pressure on England, some of which is self-inflicted. This this is the knock on of the the tournament format, isn't it? 
with with having three teams like you can have three teams from yeah. a group going through that I feel like there's now these final um as we're going into the final round of games you're going to see a lot more teams I think we're already seeing it in the second round of games where teams are quite happy to play yeah. for draws that's the downside of this this format well I think we saw Grim, that today yeah, that was going to be my question. Do you feel like Scotland were playing for the draw at certain points, or do you feel like there was always an idea of we're, we're going to try to win this at some point? I, I, I honestly, maybe toward maybe towards the end, I think you know, and once you get to within five minutes of a point, you think, okay, this this kind of revives the tournament for us a little bit, and so that we, we we can maybe protect a point a little bit. I did feel that very late on, but up until then, no, I, I felt like the team selection from Clark in particular was 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 very attacking, and even when he made changes, he he kept the the attacking structure of the team. So he takes off Che Adams and I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna he's gonna bring on a central midfielder here or or maybe a little bit more protection for for the for the fullbacks. He he brings on Kevin Nisbet. Now Kevin Nisbet is uh is a poacher. He had plays for Hibernian in Scotland. He's he's a poacher, he's a penalty box poacher. So that to me, I think that was mainly to keep the structure of the team, which had worked really well and it meant that we could continue to kind of use Dykes as an outlet and then kind of feed off him a little bit. But it was also designed to, well, if we get a chance in the box, we're gonna have someone to, to take it. So no, I didn't I didn't feel like we played for a point at all, to be honest. I I felt like we we were going for a win, but if, uh, the point is welcome and, as I say, kind of revise our tournament. Well, I think I was more inferring that England were going for a point for the similar reasons that Joe said with the double pivot and just being slow and having no urgency in the final third. Yeah, so nil-nil for England against Scotland. I think I'm, I'm disappointed by the result, but I'm almost as disappointed that I did write a pretty... It was my magnum opus of intros. Uh, for for an England win, and it's going to be shelved. You're never going to hear it. It's done. It's over. Who gets the Nando's? Me? Okay, so we had a bet before this game that um, between Graham and I that the, I suppose whoever's team won would uh, would buy a, get, get bought a Nando's by the other person. I think we just buy each other one, and we still I enjoy Nando's. And at least one. we get Nando's yeah. out of the arrangement, right? Or or we could just buy our own, and that would be less fuss and effort. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. I, mean, I was gonna. I was gonna like Facetime you while I was eating my Nando's, but fine. No, I mean, I like this. I wasn't saying I, I like the sentiment, Ryan. I'm just saying the <laughs> the logistics of buying each other a Nando's seems like it might be uh, not really worth it. <laughs> All right. I, I do feel like this this is a scenario in which I, like the headline could properly be uh, Scotland beat England nil nil. Like it's one of those moments. So yeah. so I would lean maybe like maybe Ryan has to spring for like any extra sauces or condiments or things right, like okay. that. If there's a charge, if you want to upgrade, then Ryan has to cover that. Yeah, I'll get your extra sides, Graham. How's that sound? <laughs> Perfect. I'll take uh, matcho peas, please. Thank you. Very good. Sir. Peas. Very you good, chose sir. peas, Graham. Really? Peas? No. <laughs> The nan, <laughs> the Nando's peas are really good. Ryan, okay. will you back me up on this one? <laughs> yeah, they're like the little spicy ones, right? They're pretty good. That's right. Yeah, I think they're... when I think uh, like food reviews and like the height of cuisine, I think Scotland. So anything Graham tells me to buy, oh, I'm going to totally go out and get. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. And what they do in the uh, Scottish Nando's is they deep fry those peas. <laughs> of course <laughs> they do. Of course they do. Yeah. Even the silverware is deep fried. It's, it's quite a trip out there. It's wonderful. Anyway, let's, uh, the lesser we, we talk about this England game, the, the, uh, the happier I'll be. Let's move on to another bundle of joy. Uh, group E, winning the award possibly for the worst group of the tournament at the moment. In the morning, Joe, you got up bright and early for Sweden against Slovakia. In St. Petersburg, an Emil Forsberg penalty making a difference here for a 1-0 win for Sweden. Um, the way I would describe this joke was, 
cautious. Nobody seemed to really <laughs> want the ball. A couple of deep line defenses here. And the first half, just give me your opinions on that first half. Oh, man. I- I don't tend to to opt to go this route, but I'm going to let Ali Moreno do my words, do my talking for me, do my words for me. Uh, after halftime, Ali Moreno on the ESPN commentary said he would have booed both teams if he'd been in this in the in the stadium in St. Petersburg. <laughs> and I don't know that I would have booed because I don't tend to go that route. But it was a it was a very very poor first half. Both Sweden and Slovakia much more comfortable defending than they are attacking. And we saw that in the the first game for both of these teams, especially Sweden uh, against Spain. Sweden get that penalty in the second half. Isak plays a ball that maybe he meant to play, maybe he didn't into the box, and, and Sweden draw that penalty. But, man, you can tell that both these teams don't really know what to do when they have the ball. And, and Sweden, I thought, did some okay things with Emil Forsberg tucking inside, and he and Isak were clearly two, at least Sweden's two best players in this game. But neither team really ever threatened much on goal. The XG in the first half was ridiculously low. Very few shots created for both teams over the course of this game. Uh, just, again, yeah, teams that didn't really want the ball, and they ended up having a lot of it between the two of them. The way I would I would explain it is like you can uh, you can free climb a mountain and you can use no ropes and just try to get up it as quickly as you can, uh, which obviously requires a ton of planning. Uh, or you can sort of like bolt yourself in every step of the way. And Sweden, I think, if they were a mountain climber, are bolting themselves in yep. every step of the way, even if it's timed. They're okay with not finishing, but as long as they sort of keep everything safe and make everything secure, and then we take our next step. And that was really what I saw in this game. It was just a slightly less defensive display than we saw in their first game but here it was still the two banks of four it was very disciplined you didn't see people getting stretched or caught out or or sort of pulled out of position and then it would slowly lead to attacks or certain attacking chances and I think again uh, Alexander Isak is a big part of that I still don't know if I buy into the idea that they need to replace Berg with somebody else because I think Berg fits with what they're trying to do he drops in he links up play he tries to play it wide I don't think that he is necessarily the problem I think it's just Sweden's approach is not particularly dynamic but so far it hasn't cost them so I don't expect them to change that too much in their final game I got big Euro 2016 vibes from this game where if you remember it was much more defensive tournament than this one and it just reminds me it makes me shudder thinking of Portugal going all the way the way they did so I mean Graham I expected a little more of Slovakia here I think um based on what we've seen previously, I looked at their heat map and it was just a big red line all along the top of their defensive third and almost nothing <laughs> in the Swedish box. Yeah, I mean, this. I will, I will uh, turn my focus to Slovakia in a minute, but th- this game in general just reminded me of the, the Mitchell and Webb sketch, which Ryan, I, I only directed towards <laughs> Ryan because I don't know how much uh, cut through in the States Mitchell and Webb has, but this is a game that has been described as on today. On <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so the titans of ipswich play host to the giants yeah. of somebody making them both seem normal sized that's my yeah. favorite one from that one yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that, that's what sprung to mind when i was watching this game um <laughs> it was it will not stick in the in the memory for very long but in terms of slovakia's performance for me the thing that stuck out was the i think we saw the the limit of them um not having a a clear number nine to sort of lead the line and 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 play off. Um, obviously they're playing Duda in that in that position, but 
he kind of drifts a lot. And, and so what was happening was Hamsik was uh, dropping deep to collect the ball. He was turning, he was looking up and he really only had Duda ahead of him. And, and the positions he was, he was taking up were, were not especially great either. He was kind of, um, moving around, not really staying in one place, which I suppose you could say is trying to find space, but it just meant that it was, there was no real kind of, um, pattern to, to Slovakia's attacking play. And then you had Mac out on the high out on the left side, but he was uninvolved in the match. And whenever they, they played the ball out to him, the, the two banks of four would kind of tighten up over that side for Sweden and they would kind of crowd him out, out of the ball. So he, uh, he wasn't able to do anything like he, like he did in the, in the, in the first game against Poland. So I just, I just feel like the limitations of the Slovakia team were exposed by a Sweden team that was set up to suffocate them. And, and Taylor's absolutely right. I, in this match, I find myself wanting more from Sweden because I think they are capable of it. And in particular, I think Kulusevski can come in maybe for Berg and, and, and do a more dynamic job than Marcus Berg. Um, but you cannot argue with the results they've had so far. Four points from, um, from two games. They've played the, the, the biggest team in the group, the toughest team in the group, and they're probably assured of their place in the last 16. So uh, they, they're awkward opponents. They're, they will be awkward for any team that plays them in the last 16. And I thought Slovakia would be as well after their first game. And I was really excited for this one because it felt like it was going to be this very immovable object in the form of Sweden versus a, like, somewhat movable object, I guess, in the form of Slovakia because they were so fluid. They moved all over the place. They created mismatches. And at the end of this one, we have Marek Hamšík subbing, having to be subbed off due to injury. It doesn't feel like they had a ton of answers for the Sweden team, and now they will need some sort of, res- of, a, of a result on the final day. So I find myself slightly bummed out by Slovakia, so I'm going to make up for it by making fun of Graham. Because, Graham, the only other Michelin Web one that I can think of, aside from Are We the Baddies, is the one where the guy enters the office office to find out. I think he's a Tottenham fan. And the Liverpool supporting coworker, Liverpool had won that weekend, and he keeps talking about we won, uh, to which I think the response is like, were you on the field? Um, or we were all in the movie. Uh, yeah, I do that I a lot. I do feel like there was a lot of we in that Scotland analysis. I, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. I need, I need to stay more objective. Scotland. I'll, I'll refrain from, from we. I thought we were done I think with we the is appropriate stuff. here. Come on, let's move on from that. Let's talk about the really interesting, basically it was performance art, it was so bad Sweden team instead. Wouldn't we all rather do that? Um, how about we, if we are going to pick a bright spot for Sweden, Isaac uh, up top, who mm-hmm. yeah. had that one chance where he could have scored like one of the goals of the tournament. Uh, some really good footwork he showed as well. Um, but maybe he was a little bit selfish at times. There was at least one time where he could have passed the ball off and, and created more of an opportunity for Sweden. Taylor, your thoughts on Isaac? I, I thought he was really impressive overall. I mean, as much as you can be an impressive attacker in this Sweden team, he was certainly the one who was most likely to create something, and on a few occasions he did. I, I will be honest and say I think I was a little confused because Ali Moreno was so seemed like down on Isak at times like there was the moment when he tries to I think cut inside and get a shot off and Moreno thought he was trying to pass the ball and talked about how he needed to be more selfish there watching that it felt like he was waiting and seeing what would happen recognized the defense was expecting him to pass and so he tried to shoot but just couldn't get that shot off and I think there were other like pretty interesting moments from him just like on the ball off the ball he made a lot of runs that I think caused some distress and then he has the ball that leads to the penalty which as Joe said there is some debate around the intentionality of it I, I kind of feel like he meant to do exactly what he did there's an argument he was trying to spray it wide and just completely mishit it but in those moments I always go back to looking at what he does immediately after and there's none of that like 
oh, shoot, I did something wrong or sort of like, oops, like you, you can tell the body language of a person who's done something that they didn't mean to do. And his was immediately turning and looking at what was happening and then immediately pleading for a penalty. And I just didn't see that that hesitation, that delay that signifies, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, but it worked out. And then the complaints start. So I thought it was a a pretty strong performance from him again in a Sweden team that weren't offering much else aside from him. They were not indeed. Well, Sweden top Group E as we stand. Uh, Spain taking on Poland on the late game on Saturday. We'll see how that one evens out the group. In the meantime, gents, let's look at the other game that happened today. The middle game, Croatia against the Czech Republic in uh, Hampton Park. This one finishing 1-1. Joe, another first half good, second half... No, sorry, another first half bad, second half not so bad. Is that how I describe it? I think it is. Uh, yeah, the second half was a little bit more open, and Croatia found some more space. Luka Modric got on the ball a little bit more, I think. He dropped deeper like he did in the first game against England and was able to help Croatia progress the ball. And then you have that lovely goal from Perisic in the 47th minute. That was the only open play goal of the day, and, and that goal even came off of a quick restart from Croatia, which was very smart on their part. But, I mean, there was just a, a general lack of quality attacking play today. We saw glimpses from Croatia. We saw less glimpses from the Czech Republic. But the Czech Republic, for their part, they play soccer like the New York Red Bulls play soccer. They're just out here to make the game miserable for you, which I'm sure Graham can identify with. <laughs> they'll press, they'll take away your best players, and they'll fight for 50-50 balls. They did all of those things pretty well in this game. They scored their only goal from a penalty kick. But I, I think one of the best things they did was defensively, they tried to deny Luka Modric and, and Mateo Kovacic the ball when Croatia were in possession, mostly again in the first half. They used uh, Darida and Suchek to mark those players, or at least to shadow them, which made it hard for Croatia to build up. And then we saw Croatia really struggle to put together consistent, cohesive attacking play. So yeah, I mean, the New York Red Bulls slash the Czech Republic put in a good defensive performance, but these two teams did not really inspire, especially on the offensive end of things. We did get our first VAR controversy of the tournament here with the uh, with the Czech Republic penalty, Schick uh, putting that one away. Um, it, this one really did seem to divide people, whether the, the elbow that Lovren put on Schick, which caused the nosebleed, was, uh, was a foul or not. I was tempted to say it was, and I, I kind of went with the logic that if that was anywhere else on the field, it would be a free kick. Uh, and, you know, th- there's the whole line about it doesn't need to have intent to be reckless. Graham, did you have any thoughts on that penalty call, that VAR call? Yeah, I mean, just using the sort of naked eye test on this one, because a lot of the time I feel like when you slow things down with, with VAR, it's 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 a little bit unfair and things look a lot worse than than they really are. I didn't think this was a penalty. I thought that the... The, the the way that Lovren gets his 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 arms up, his, it feels to me like nat- natural leverage that you would that we, you would use to get up. And I I actually I'm surprised. I mean, look, I, I can't really argue with the fact that Schick's nose is is all beaten up, but you know clearly he has caught. But I I, I was surprised that, that 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 much damage was caused because it didn't seem to me like there was a huge amount of contact unless I missed an angle or something that I was a little distracted during this game so it's possible that I did miss an <laughs> angle um, and I guess one thing I would say is Lovren's right elbow seems to be slightly higher than his left elbow which suggests that he does know even if it's subconsciously he does know there's someone on that side and so he's offering himself more protection on that side um, which I guess you could kind of interpret as a little bit of intent. But I just as I say, just watching this one in, in, in open play in normal time, I didn't expect a penalty at all. And then once the VR replays start coming through, it, it, it maybe looks a bit worse. But I'm always wary of those slowed down angles. Yeah, I um, think... Uh- 
Oh, just, I was just going to say, I think like watching this one a bunch of different times, I, I was very confused by this one because it did not seem like it should have been a penalty, in my opinion. I watched Lovren to see if he was aware of anybody behind him to see if it was that sort of sneaky moment of like, oh, there's somebody there. I can make this happen. He doesn't check that. To me, it's, it's he's going through the normal motion of like what you would do if you're trying to get that elevation is almost like pulling yourself up to get that sort of force behind it. And also, if you're heading the ball, you're using your neck, but if you kind of throw your torso into it, you're going to get better connection, move that ball further. So I think that's what he's doing. I think... So I don't think it should have been a penalty, first of all, but I understand the argument for it. I think Mark, Kla- Mark Klattenberg helped a lot with it by pointing out that I think the contact with, with Schick's face happens before Lovren wins the ball. And the analogy that I, I think of, uh, I asked this on Twitter, where I got a few responses, but every now and then we get that penalty where a player is going to like clear the ball from their own penalty box, and as they go to do so, an attacker runs through to try to get to it. The defender who's clearing doesn't see the attacker, goes to clear clear and kicks the attacker and it's a penalty and there's always this consternation about what he didn't mean to do that he's obviously trying to kick the ball he didn't know that happened but it gets given every time it happened to Serge Aurier against Sergio Mane happened to Andy Robertson versus Danny Welbeck I think it happened to Weston McKinney this past season I think it happened to Virgil van Dijk in seasons past and I bring those those points up to say it connects here in that if there's a foul before the ball is won before a play happens, I think you have to give the foul. And I think that's why it's given because that contact occurs before the header. Still not saying I agree, but I think that is the rationale behind it, uh, or at least partially the rationale behind it. Yes, indeed. Well, it, it's been a very uh, strong start to the uh, competition for the Czech Republic. Not so much for Croatia, who seem way below what I was expecting to be at standard-wise. But Taylor, I think the most amazing thing from this whole game was once again the commentary where we learned that uh, the Croatian defender Vida has a Slovenian pig farm. Did you see that coming? Uh, I I didn't, but with Vida, I I would expect nothing less because he just seems like a kind of heavy metal sort of dude. And I feel like a pig farm is part of that. (laughs) And I would say... Attackers, be wary, because as we learned from uh, from Snatch, always be wary of a person who owns a pig farm, because you never know what they're using those pigs for. And mm. and Vita is kind of a ruthless defender. You never know. There, there could be some uh, ruthlessness going on at that pig farm, is all I'm saying. <laughs> they chew on bone, Taylor. They chew on bone. That, see? This is what I'm getting at. This <laughs> is what I'm getting at. <laughs> I thought the strangest game, Ryan, I have to say, uh, the strangest thing about this game, Ryan, was uh, Dejan Lovren taking free kicks from 20 yards out uh, when Luka Modric is on the pitch. I don't really know what's going on there. Uh, that did puzzle me, yes, I must admit. And there, there was a lot of consternation on Twitter about that, why, why Luka Modric wasn't on the free kick there. But hey, what do you know? I don't know, that's for sure. Anyway, that's that game. That's uh, three games where I'm not sure we'll be having fond memories of this uh, day at Euro 2020. So why don't we look ahead to Saturday's action where the the, the menu certainly looks a lot more exciting. Uh, The first game, I believe, is Hungary taking on France in Budapest. Uh, Taylor will have some Salai, Salai, Salai fun once again. Uh, France haven't imploded yet, might they? Nope, I don't think so. I, I think we saw an, enough from France to make me think that they came out with a a sort of logical game plan that everybody was on board for, and you had players making individual sacrifices to allow other players to kind of have some attacking freedom, and there was a lot of interchange and, and good passing movement, good movement off the ball. I didn't see any of the kind of worrying signs. I didn't see any of the infighting or frustration necessarily with a lot of that team, aside from major, maybe Adrian Rabiot, but he sort of deserved it. So I, I would expect France 
needs to be pretty comfortable here, even if there is a very defensive team that they're going to be going up against potentially in Hungary. Mm. Uh, I still think that they have the individual talent and maybe just belief that England did not, that they will be able to find a way through. Uh, the middle game of the day will take us to Munich. We have Portugal, uh, Graham, taking on Germany. Big hitters here. What do you think of that one? Yeah, this is this is such a, a such an incredible game. Really looking forward to that one. Portugal, I want to see more of what they showed in the ten minutes. The, the, sorry, the final ten minutes of their win over Hungary. So I, I would, I, I would, I would understand if Santos sets up with uh, the Carvalho Danilo central midfield again because you might want to play it a little bit cagey against a team like Germany. But if if things are going well for them, I'd quite like them to open out a little bit. And with Germany. I think it's it's just I want to see more evidence of what their solution is for the centre forward position because actually going back and and looking at their performance again against France and reading a lot of um, expert opinions as well in their performance I think I was a little bit down on their performance I, I, I think they actually did better than I realised at the time maybe because I thought France did so well but um, so I, I still think they have problems though in in terms of finding that apex of the attack to really give them purpose because I think they are lacking that even though there are signs of patterns and um, some of their play against France was quite positive they just lack that guy who's going to get them the goals and not just get them the goals just give them a little bit the word I use is purpose in that in the attacking third so yeah against a, a difficult to break down Portugal team that'll be even more important definitely looking forward to that one and also Joe the last game of the day Spain taking on Poland to, to wrap up the second round of games in Group E that one happening in Seville uh, Joe my, my betting didn't go very well with the England Scotland game today so can you give me uh, the score line the goal scorers that kind of thing please <laughs> I can't give you any of that stuff but if there's a way to put any money on uh, possession percentage I would recommend stacking whatever whatever <laughs> you have Ryan your life savings on Spain having probably at least 60, maybe even 70% possession in this game. They had, what, 85 against against Sweden. Poland won't mm-hmm. play nearly that defensive. But they're missing Krakowiak. They're missing Milik. They didn't have him for this tournament at all. I, I would expect Poland to sit back pretty deep, try to avoid being broken down by Spain, and then Spain's going to have a lot of the ball. They created really good chances against Sweden. And I, there's a lot to not like about that game from Spain to open this tournament for them. But there was a lot to like. I, I think they still are an extremely dangerous team. And I expect Poland to have their hands full. There we go. And that wraps up the Euro 2020 coverage of day eight. Not so great. But you know what was great? <laughs> Spending my time with my chums from Tokyo Soccer Show. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much. I was going to sing Flower of Scotland again, but since you said a nice thing, I will not. I will say I'm not going to be with you all tomorrow. Uh, I look forward to hearing your analysis, and I look forward to being back on Sunday. And I look forward to being out of my angry place, by the way. I'll be back in my happy That's place good. tomorrow, so don't I worry so. about that. Uh, Graham Rutherford, a pleasure. Congratulations on that nil-nil draw, and your team still being bottom of the group, and you still having not scored any goals. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Ryan. I, uh, I'm <laughs> off to dream about uh, Billy Gilmore. Not in a weird way. But in a <laughs> too late, yeah, in a nice made it weird. Football-y way. <laughs> in a nice using his face for the side of your house painting. Well, it sort of like uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan. Bye. Bye. 